Hey everybody, welcome back to the Leverage Podcast. I am so excited today to be able to have a guest who I am a huge fan of and have been for a long time. His name is Eric Barker. He's got a website called Barking Up the Wrong Tree and a brand new book with all of the knowledge that he's learned. So Eric, thank you so much for being with me today. It's great, man. You'll probably describe this better than me, but the reason that I've always been such a fan of your work is that you've had this blog for several years now. I don't know how many years. I'm sure you can tell us. And you distill information. So to me, like that's that's one of the, the best things for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time necessarily. They want to get the most valuable nuggets. You've taken things from books and research reports and all sorts of other sources, and you boil it down to you know like four or five things that you need to know to sort of to to not only get the gist of it but take action on it. Is that a fair way to sum up what you do? Uh, absolutely, it's very very good description. How'd you get into doing this? I mean, were you just really good at summarizing things? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I often joke that uh, in school I hated writing term papers and now I write term papers for a living. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I was just, I, I had kind of reached a crossroads uh, in, in my life where I'd spent 10 years as a screenwriter in Hollywood and just that ups and downs of that got, you know, got just crazy and unbearable. And uh, then I went to business school and got an MBA, but I realized, you know, I, I, that really wasn't for me. And I was just at this crossroads and I was kind of looking for some answers. And I, I, I have that bearing to begin with. I was a, I was a philosophy major undergrad. So I started looking for answers and I figured what are the most legitimate answers uh, I could find. I started looking at academic research and and I was curious about social media, so I figured, hey, maybe other people are curious about this. And so in 2009, I just started combing through all of these uh, dusty research journals and just I was finding that a lot of answers uh, that we all wonder about, a lot of questions we ask ourselves, there are answers. They're out there. They're just they're just not, you know, accessible. And so I started posting those up and then I started seeing trends in the research and I started writing longer posts about those trends and and it kind of, you know, spiraled, you know, from there into kind of like, you know, full on long form, maybe too long uh, essays uh, about what I was finding and then interviewing experts and I guess, you know, kind of culminating with the book. Yeah. So, uh, again, there's always there's so much actionable information I always take in for you. I, I'd like to talk about some of your favorites, but I'll tell you one of my favorite blog posts I guess, that you've written was the one about the number one ritual that you need to be more successful. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. More rituals. More rituals. <laughs> On that note, there must be quite a bit of ritual to how you do this kind of work. I mean, you're, you're really, I, I remember when I contacted you initially and you were telling me you just, you basically spend like all day, every day just reading, right? I mean, so what is, what does that look like now? Uh, I mean, it was really tricky. It was most tricky when I was uh, writing the book proposal, writing the book, because I would basically spend four days a week on the, the book and three days on the, the that week's blog post. And that did not leave a lot of time for fun or <laughs> or sleeping <laughs> or uh, or a lot of other things. But, you know, I, I usually have a handful of ideas or things I'm reading or things that interest me in various states of development. I'll kind of start there, but it was it was really tricky balancing the book with the blog. Uh, but I mean, before that, frankly, I've been you know balancing a full time job with the blog, which was difficult as well. I really like finding those kind of those kind of trend posts where I see a lot of things in the research and it all kind of starts to point in one direction. You know, because it's rituals are powerful, and there's a big difference between 
just something you something you do frequently is not the same as a habit and a habit is not the same as a ritual and i think recognizing that distinction and then using it in your life pr- produces huge benefits but it's it's a kind of a subtle nuanced distinction but uh, seemingly but once you once you incorporate it it really does make a difference so, and, and do you see a, a difference between a routine and a ritual? I only ask because this came up, like your latest post about uh, turn routines into rituals. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, pe- people might have their own idiosyncratic, you know, dis- uh, definitions or boundaries for what each of those is. But I think, you know, in general, it's like, in general, you know, there's a lot of stuff I do every day, but it's not necessarily a, a habit or a ritual. And then you have habits and routines, which are just things that, you know, it's kind of like a, like a machine, like work click kind of thing. I, I wake up, I brush my teeth, you know, I wake up, I brush my teeth, but you know, but that's not actually a, a ritual. I, I don't think you, I don't think you would anyway compare that to say a religious uh, ceremony uh, of sorts, which would be high, the, the, you know, probably the highest level of ritualization. Um, you know, a, a ritual is, is kind of when I see it as, you know, when you have the elements there to, to frame it so as to provide meaning, you know, where where you're not just doing the actions at a specific time in a specific place, that would be a habit or routine. But a ritual is when you, you add meaning or a story or a connection uh, to it that provides a value beyond the specific actions that are involved in 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 doing the activity. How do you choose your sources? Because you have quite a variety. You know, sometimes it's like the, the most popular sort of business book of the week, like, uh, you know, the Charles Duhigg Power Habit kind of stuff. And other times it's things I just never heard of. So where, where are you sourcing a lot of this stuff from? Uh, everywhere and anywhere. There's, there's <laughs> sadly, this, uh, uh, hold on, hold on to your hat. This is going to be the most unsatisfying answer uh, that you can imagine. Um, no, there's, there's, Things come from everywhere. You know, uh, I read a lot and sometimes I read something and I go, oh, my God, this would be uh, uh, a great blog post. Other times I read something. The book's terrible, but it points me towards a research paper and the research paper's terrible. But the author has three other research papers that are really interesting. Or I read somebody's book and I don't really like the book, but they have some interesting ideas. So I interview them. Um, you know, I mean, there's just this kind of endless, you know, just endless viral spread of me kind of just bouncing around to different things. I read a blog post uh, from somebody else, which inspires me, and I go read a source. And, uh, it, every, things come from everywhere and anywhere. Uh, or sometimes it's just kind of the zeitgeist where you just see lots of different, uh, you know, like I, I wrote one post on FOMO. And one post on imposter syndrome, yeah. hearing more and more about a subject, but everything I'm reading, I don't feel like it's really actionable. I don't feel like it's really helpful or, or I feel like it's somebody's, you know, personal opinion and personal advice. And that's great, but it's not grounded in research that makes it generalizable for, for most people. Uh, so I, I, the ideas come from, you know, wherever, and sometimes it's a multi-step process. No, and that's not like an unexciting answer. Honestly, I think that a lot of ideas are really sort of identifying patterns and following those leads and and, and doing that, almost doing that investigation to sort of get down to what is going to be the most interesting to people. So how much of the stuff that you write about are you able to sort of pour back into yourself to improve? It varies. I mean, on, on one hand, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll write about, uh, marriage and parenting 
you know, what the research says. But the truth is, I'm, I'm not married and I'm not a parent. Since I'm citing research or interviewing people, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just making stuff up. It's like I'm, I'm saying, here's what the research says, and there's no way for me to apply that. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there's plenty of stuff I write about that I do apply um, very consistently. Frankly, I, I think because a lot of people will write to me and they'll, they'll be like, oh, my God, how do you I can't imagine how you incorporate all of this. You must be. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm human, too. I can't. <laughs> I, 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 nobody can do all of this. You know, that, that's just impossible. And, and some of the things are mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, some of the some of the things you might do to be optimally creative would not make you optimally productive. Um, you know, some of the things to make to, to make you optimally productive would not make you optimally happy. You know, there's a lot of picking and choosing, you know, but for me, there's a lot of stuff that there's a number of happiness exercises, uh, you know, such as the Martin Seligman's uh, Three Blessings Gratitude Exercise, which I do on a daily basis. Um, a lot of the uh, the productivity research, uh, you know, uh, productivity tips from, from Cal Newport uh, I use on a daily basis. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, it I think the most valuable thing is that it frames the way I think about things where I'm able to make better decisions uh, about how to handle situations, even if I'm not doing the, the all the practices every day. Because like I said, there would reach a point uh, where it would just it would just get out of hand. And then there's other stuff that's that I use on a case by case basis. You know, you, you're, you're not taking your snowblower out every day, maybe unless you live in the North Pole. So there's some things like uh, like Jimmy Pennebaker's uh, writing exercise, which if I'm really dealing with an emotional issue or a serious problem that's really valuable to kind of like pull out of the closet you know when when you need to use it but it's not something i i i hope to god i never need i have i have such an emotional upheaval that i need that for uh, every day for for months on end but uh, i try to incorporate the stuff that i think is most valuable that that really suits me but there's nobody can do everything uh, there's no way what are some of the big things that you personally have integrated into your life from the research that you've seen I mean, in terms of, you know, looking at like Charles Duhigg's amazing book, The Power of Habit, trying to make things more habitual, you know, that's the closest we can get to kind of scaling, scaling these more, uh, you know, beneficial activities, uh, because once you make them habits, you don't have to, you don't have to think about it. Um, a generalized, a very generalized idea that comes out of the social science research, um, you know, probably it was the work probably of Dan Ariely primarily, where instead of focusing on willpower, I focus on manipulating my context. You know, where uh, I don't sit there and try to use any techniques to uh, increase my willpower to not eat ice cream. I just don't buy ice cream and put it in the house. You know, I um, I just make sure that my environment, uh, whether it's, you know, the, the room I work in, my bedroom, whatever, uh, is suited for the tasks that it is meant to handle. So I'm very strict about controlling my environment. I'm really big on doubling down on strengths, uh, less, you know, than weaknesses. I think about what is really critical, what's really going to move the needle. Um, in terms of batching, which is Tim Ferriss has talked about, you know, I, I do not want my life to be ongoing social media checks and constant emailing. Um, you know, I, so a lot of things in terms of time management, carving out big blocks of time to get real work done. That's the thing I gleaned from, from Cal Newport, getting into his, his phenomenal book, Deep Work. Uh, really making sure that I have like at least 90 minute chunks to really do quality stuff. Um, limiting what I do in general so that I'm not doing very much, but I'm doing, you know, quality stuff. Uh, Sean Aker's 20 second rule where 
you know, take the stuff that you take the activities that you you don't you shouldn't be doing, make them twenty seconds harder to begin. Take the activities you uh, should be doing and make them twenty seconds easier to start. Uh, I could go on forever. <laughs> no, so I, I love the twenty second rule one. Actually, I think that's a really good example. Can you give an example of how you've uh, implemented that in practice? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's literally uh, taking anything that's a distraction. Um, you know, uh, and just putting it further away, frankly, just not having it within arm's reach of the couch. Um, you know, uh, the other thing is, you know, not keeping, uh, email and social media tabs open. Uh, probably the best example is this sounds slightly insane, but it works. I download Instagram, uh, to my phone twice a day and I delete it off my phone twice a day because that's how often I, I, that's how often I let myself check Instagram. So I download Instagram, I check Instagram, I upload something, then I delete the app and it is not on my phone. And then, you know, uh, sometime during the evening, download it again, check it again, maybe upload something, delete it again. That is the 20 seconds because with the download time, uh, I have two-factor authentication. Um, you know, it's like by the time it, it, that takes that long, I am not going to keep, I won't let it stay on my phone because I'll check it a thousand times a day. And and the process of downloading and two-factor authentication through Facebook, then two-factor authentication for Instagram, I'm not going to do that multiple times a day. So there's a built-in kind of 20-second rule there. I don't keep the email app on my phone. I don't keep the Facebook app on my phone. I don't keep the Twitter app on my phone. You know, I, I, I can, I could go in through my browser and check Facebook, check Twitter, check Gmail. But then again, you... You kind of have another built-in sort of 20-second rule is that'll take longer. The interface isn't as good. By making it more difficult and more inconvenient, I'm I'm far less likely to do it. And that drives me, when I do need distraction, that drives me towards clicking the Kindle app, which I would much rather spend my time reading books than, you know, aimlessly looking at social media sites. When you read, like, first of all, are you, you know, a speed reader for one? And then do you take notes while you're reading or do you digest and come back to it? Like, what's that look like? I'm, I, I'm not a speed reader, um, you know, not, not by a long shot, but I do definitely take notes, uh, lots of notes. Uh, usually I'm just highlighting, but if, if something relates to something else, if something's particularly interesting to me or I want to come back to it, you know, I make tons of notes and that's frankly why I generally prefer Kindle because the ability to actually type in, in notes, uh, and make things searchable, uh, and things to make things cut, cutting and pasting, uh, when I'm, when I'm doing blog posts, uh, those are all really, really valuable, but I'm a big believer in notes. I, I think that anything you can do to make the reading process more active, uh, really helps you learn, helps you digest it, helps you connect it to other ideas. Uh, in your head. So to me, anything that makes the reading process active, I mean, again, like fiction reading for pleasure, et cetera, is different. But if it's something you really are interested in, you really want to learn, um, you know, writing about it, making notes, uh, all those things, I think really that, that get, I mean, the research shows that, you know, making it more active, getting, get, making those connections, that's really key as opposed to just, you know, trying to get through it as quickly as possible. Now, with this current book, how much of this is completely new material? How much of it is some uh, pulled back from the blog? And, and uh, you know, what, how did you, you, I guess, <laughs> how did you distill what was already distilled? I mean, this isn't, this, this is not, you know, a collection of blog posts uh, or, you know, any, any, any kind of, this is, this is not a best of album. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, this, this was a specific, now granted, I do reference some of the same research because, 
you know, the best research is the best research. Something that has the most citations or had the biggest impact, you know, I'd, I'd be negligent if I wasn't referring to the best research. So sometimes I do cite some of the same research I've, um, I've mentioned on the blog, but this is specifically about, um, you know, success and the maxims of success, which is something I've never really addressed uh, on the blog. This this book is about it's basically Mythbusters for success. We all we all grew up hearing these maxims of, uh, you know, nice guys finish last. It's not what you know, it's who, you know, uh, winners never quit. Quitters never win. All, all these kind of maxims. And they've never been really tested. We don't know if they're based on research, if they really work. We've all seen exceptions to them. So basically, I wanted to take uh, kind of the, the Mythbusters approach and look at the research, talk to the experts, see what, whether this stuff holds up or not. And in fact, what, what are uh, the more accurate rules of success that we should be, we should be living by? Uh, so well, this is a random one, but have you seen Retraction Watch? You ever seen that website? Yeah, I, I keep that in my uh, – I'm a big believer in good old RSS, and I, uh, I keep that in my RSS feed because – yeah, it's crazy. There's been a whole replication crisis in science and uh, social science. I figured you would know about the site, but for those who don't know, Retraction Watch basically just publishes when when uh, there have been retractions for uh, studies that have basically been proven to be wrong. And one of the things they have, which I really like, is they have like the list of the ones that have had the most retractions on their citations uh, before. Yeah. So it is it is kind of amazing. You really do have to get that full picture, which is honestly, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. It's one of the reasons why I actually, I, I trust. The things that you write quite a bit uh, when I, I and I know I don't have to look into them much further when you're posting them. So you're, you're really helping me with that. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. I'm, I try my best, but you know, it's like, I mean, it's it's evolving. You know, I, I you know, I've, I've had people write to me and say, well, you said this here and you said this here. And it's like, well, that, you know, welcome to science. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, things, things change, things get overturned and we, we want to keep improving. If the last thing I want is, you know, I, I don't want to be preaching dogma, you know, when, when the facts change, when, you know, when, when we find we have faulty logic or faulty statistics, you know, you, you, you keep trying to get better. I mean, it's, there's been a crisis of, uh, uh, of replication in social science, you know, and that's legitimate and that's a concern, but people forget, you know, how many medical procedures were done 60 years ago that we don't do anymore? You know, how many medications had terrible side effects? You know, it, all of science is a constant evolution, you know, just trying to get better, you know, in so many areas we've seen that things didn't work. You try to make them better. You do what you can. I don't. I. I think it's definitely a concern, but I don't think you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. What's the alternative? Right. Exactly. So the last question I always like to ask, and this is I've been wanting to ask you this for a very long time, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. Okay. So uh, three three tips to be more effective. Yes. One thing I would definitely say is having a morning ritual. You clarify, you air, you just chill your brain out. You're not being reactive. You know, it's the worst thing is when you start the day, the world's already going crazy and bombarding you with, uh, with its, its endless list of needs and wants, uh, to just have a moment and clarify what is important for you to achieve that day and having that clearly set out. What is the one thing where if I get this done, I'm not going to feel horribly guilty uh, you know, at the end of the day. And, and, and that should be preferably something that moves the needle forward on one of your goals. So it's like, first and foremost, what is that one thing? I think that's, that's really critical. 
Uh, number two, I, I would say the 22nd rule. So much, of a, so much of what we do is affected by our context, and the most insidious part is that we, we don't often realize it. You know, turning notifications off on your phone, deleting the apps, it's, it's really good to, at some point, do a time audit and just look at where your time is going, and then look for hotspots. Look for, it's one of the things I talk about in the book, is, is basically saying, like, when you're wasting time, where do you waste it? And then get trying to eliminate whatever that that thing is. Uh, and on the flip side, if you realize consistently, wow, between 10 and 12 a.m., you know, when I'm when I'm working in my home office, uh, I just really crank every day. I just really. Cr- OK, great. Then maybe you want to try and expand that from 10 to one or or you wanna, or you want to spend more time in, in, in your office because that's where you really get stuff done. So finding those hotspots, using the 20 second rule to manipulate your context to eliminate your big time wasters and to expand uh, the things when you when you're really uh, super efficient. Beyond that, I would I would also say, and I don't think this gets addressed enough, is uh, thinking about the people you're spending time with. You know, where it's like you you want to make sure that your social circle is is pushing you forward. Because if you look at research by Nicholas Christakis at Yale, you know, the people around us make a huge huge uh, difference in our life, and we don't always notice that. So that can be certainly in terms of happiness and love, um, but it can also be in terms of ambition and getting things done. And even be, even even a, a healthy rivalry uh, can really push you forward. So I would say those things. Number one, clar- clarifying your number one thing for the day. Number two, manipulating your con- your context, 20-second rule, hotspots of productivity. And then number three, I would say looking at the people around you and making sure that you've got people who are who are pushing you forward, driving you forward, even in a healthy rivalry. Awesome. I think those are, those are fantastic. So, Eric, we'll have links in the show notes, but where can people find out more about you and the book? Uh, the URL for my blog is, uh, is a little obscure. So the people are generally best off Googling either my name, Eric Barker, uh, or uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree, uh, and, and uh, my blog will come up. Uh, the book's available on Amazon and other retailers. Uh, it's it's available May sixteenth, uh, and uh, and no, those are those are the best ways to find me. And the best way to keep up with what I'm doing is to join my email list. That option is uh, available on the blog. Fantastic, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. It really it was an honor and a pleasure to speak to you finally. Want to create more positive leverage in your life? Visit www.getleverage.com to access additional interviews, our blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every week.